millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, runners only. Yeah, yeah, let's get it started. Hey, hey. This is Runners Only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady. Anywhere you coming? Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. This is Runners Only. Yeah, let's get it started. This is Runners Only with Dom Harley. Fast paced, slow and steady. Anywhere you coming? Just want to connect for everyone who loves running. Hey, Runners Only with Dom Harley. Well, here we are. I'm sitting in the lounge with Brad Smaler, the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah. Good to be here. Hey, great to be here and finally meet you. I've been uh, friends with you on um, Instagram for a few years now. We follow each other. Yeah. Um, your journey, I mean, I'm not the, not the first and I won't be the last to tell you this. It's um, nothing short of inspirational. Thank you. Yeah, that, uh, that word does get thrown my way a lot. And uh, for a while there, I almost like didn't have an issue with it. But it's like when you hear the same thing over and over and over again, mm. it's like, you know, you kind of. It almost waters it down, but like at the end of the day, to be to have something like that, like a word thrown like that in my direction mm. all the time, it's just you know it's one of the one of the better compliments you could probably get. Yeah, a lot of people are probably wondering like, why is the, the, this guy's a great guest, but what's he doing on a, a podcast about you know called Runners Only? Um, but the funny thing is, um, there's this thing called Red Bull Wings for Life. It's a run they have in May each year. Um, do you want to explain how that works? It's like at the, it's yeah. midnight in New Zealand, but it's um, at the same time all over the world, right? Yeah, so it's, Wings for Life is the Spinal Cord Injury Foundation, which was started by uh, an old, uh, I think the father of an old motocross rider who was, um, I think, friends with uh, the head of Red Bull. Um, and so they came together and they started Wings for Life. And so the, the Wings for Life world run, as you said, starts at the same mm. moment in time all around the world. And um, so I've been getting involved in that and it's, it's been really cool. The first year, so two years ago, uh, me and my buddy Jesse and a couple of our other friends, again, as you said, it's 11 o'clock at night on a Sunday night in New Zealand. Like New Zealand's probably one of the worst places <laughs> in the world to do it. Bar Hawaii. I think Hawaii is at like two or three in the morning. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's hard to get people into it, but so the, the first year that I did it, um, we went out just from here and went up. Uh, ran around Lake Pupuki and back, and um, and my friend Jesse was pushing me in my manual wheelchair, but it was absolutely bucketing down with rain, and it was like, at first I was like, oh man, like are we really gonna have to go out and get soaked? But I'd just gotten this new raincoat, like that's designed for wheelchair users, and chucked that on and went out, and it was just a blast. Mm. It was so much fun, um, and I just loved being out in the elements because I'm somewhat like have to be protected from that yeah. um, at times, like with a wheelchair that could crap out if it got too wet. Mm. And this, the difficulty of changing clothes and things like that afterwards. But So then, yeah, the next year, again, Red Bull got a bit more involved here in New Zealand um, because I think they tried to do one the year before I did it down at Hampton Downs. But try getting people to Hampton Downs. At 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. No, exactly. thanks. Exactly. So... Um, so they, they joined forces with a, a run club, um, and yeah, we started from, I think we had over 100 people, maybe 150 people, started from under the Harbour Bridge yeah, down at um, West Haven there. West Haven, and we ran down and around, and uh, I did about 16 Ks that night. Uh, there was two different people pushing me. One did, I think, 12, and the other one took me for the other four. Uh, one of my friends did his first half marathon that night, just because he was that pumped and motivated and you know they see right in front of them like someone like me and there was um uh this girl peter there and others a few others in wheelchairs um, and we really love to get more people in wheelchairs along whether they're being pushed or whether they're pushing themselves um but yeah i think by having us there the people who are running it they see right in front of them the cause and mm. why they're doing it and it's uh, powerful. i think it's so powerful so motivating for people to 
run further than they've ever run before because there's this that motivation yeah. right there in front of them. So it was amazing, and uh, yeah, looking forward to to this year again, and hoping we can get more and more people down there. Yeah, I love it. I'll see you there, right? Oh, 100%. Mate, Wait, it would be an absolute honour to push what you. What was this we were talking about the other day as well? Are you just, when, I, when I messaged asking you about the, coming on the podcast, you're like, yeah, we should do a marathon together. Well, you said, hey, I've got something, I've got a crazy idea or something to ask you, and uh, I knew you were into your running, so I was like, oh, he's going to want to push me for a marathon, but that wasn't it. No, no, no. But I totally I'll, roped you into it. I'll gladly do it. Yeah, <laughs> let's do it. Why can, not? Can we get a lighter chair? That chair looks really, really no, no, heavy. Right there, that one over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, cool. That's the one. Yeah. Hey, we oh, no. put some speed wheels on it and we're good to go. Yeah, mate, I'd be keen as it'd be an absolute honour. That's awesome. Now, um, here's, here's, here's what I think. I think um, for anybody to go from being able-bodied to being a tetraplegic would be um, particularly hard, like a massive adjustment. Yeah. But for someone that um, is, you know, fully using their body to the maximum of its ability, like you did with your wakeboarding, um, that's got to make it like even tougher, like a next level. Yeah, my physical ability was, to me, that was my identity. Um, you know, I was Brad Smaler, the wakeboarder, you know, or like even things like modeling, even other, you know, little side hustles that I did, like it was all based around my physical mm. ability. So it, it felt like I'd lost myself. It's, it's actually been a crazy ride. Like uh, this kind of life coach, guru uh, woman who's been helping me through this whole journey she told me early on she's like you're not going to believe me but later on you're going to look back and you're going to be grateful for this whole situation i was like there is no way (laughs) absolutely not (laughs) Not but now like i am like i am more confident in who i am in myself now than i was before my accident after my accident i had a few years of you know trying to get everything back trying to get the movement back everything and then i kind of hit a low because you weren't making the progress that you expected? Exactly, yeah. I, I, basically, I wanted to get my arms working, yeah. and they still don't work. So um, I'd hit like an all-time low, and I kind of learned, you know, breakdowns lead to breakthroughs, and I'd kind of realized that, okay, am I, you know, even if I were able to get my arms moving, but it took 20 years, is 20 years of full-time, seven days a week rehab worth it for mm. that? Mm. Like, um, or... Am I better off focusing on having a better life for, you know, and enjoying the life that I've got rather than trying to get the life that I used to have back? Um, And so basically what that meant, it basically meant coming from a position of gratitude um, and looking at, okay, rather than trying to get back what I don't have, it's being grateful and, and appreciating what I do have or, rather than getting frustrated about all the things that I can't do anymore, it's like, okay, what can I do? And that's really where there was this turning point um, where I started going, you know, out on little hike missions in my wheelchair, friends pushing me around trails in the white axe and stuff. And then um, and then I was like, okay, what are, like, if of anything I could still do that would give me as much enjoyment as anyone else, what are what are some of those things? And the two things I came to was skydiving and scuba diving. I was like, the thrill, the enjoyment would be the exact same. Um, and I went and spoke to a dive doctor, and he said, no, absolutely not. I cannot give you clearance to scuba dive. It, yeah, it was kind of a long shot probably, but yeah. for him he was like, I can't give you clearance. But <laughs> typical me, I just tuned into that one thing. Breathing compressed gas underwater is what is, you know, adding the risk. So I'm like, okay, so... <laughs> if I hold my breath... If I hold my breath, it's eliminating <laughs> that risk, right? And he's like, uh, uh, adding a few others, but it's technically getting rid of that medical risk. So then I started practicing holding my breath, and within three or four attempts, I beat my previous record of three and a half minutes from before my accident, and then... Over time, I started building up that breath hold, and I got to, like, my record now is 5 minutes and 45 seconds. That's insane. Um, so, so, so when, you were, when you were doing that, um, pardon all my ignorance here, but, like, what do you feel? Like, if I hold my breath, my lungs will start to burn. Do you feel the burn? Yeah, I feel it yeah. as well. I think holding my breath brought me progression again, which was something that was missing in my life mm. after wakeboarding. Um, it, it allowed me to push myself. 
Uh, we've got this amazing dynamic with my friends. I've this trust between us because they're the ones bringing me back up. They're trusting me to know my limits and give the signal when I need to. Oh, you, you were a big deal on wakeboarding, but I, I never heard of you as a wakeboarder. The first I heard of you was um, I started seeing things on social media about a given little page, which ended up being like a quarter of a million bucks. And then there was a photo that went viral of you and your, your girlfriend at the time, and she was curled up on your bed with you. Yeah. And then um, I read an article about you shortly after the accident where you talked about um, um, some ancient Hawaiian principles. So yeah. it feels like you've always had this um, this sort of sense of calm. There was, there was definitely a little bit of that beforehand. Yeah. Um, those Huna wisdoms were given to me by my auntie. Um, and I, yeah, we printed them out and stuck them to the ceiling above my hospital bed because um, I was on bed rest a lot of the time. Um, then I ended up with a pressure sore, got back to New Zealand after three or three and a half months in the States mm. uh, through ICUs and spinal units. Ended up having to be on bed rest for two months once I got home. And so I had that stuck above, above, above my uh, my bed. And the, I mean, the... You know, there's some that are that are reasonably simple. You know, the world is what you think it is. Yeah. So it's about your mindset. If you focus on every, you know, every negative thing in the world, and you, then you're going to think the world's a pretty negative place. Mm. Whereas if you focus on, you know, all the positive things, and that kind of ties in with energy flows where attention goes, um, which is another one. And there's, there's, you know, there's seven of them. Yeah. So yeah, it's there's been a lot that I've learned, and it's I just feel like I'm so much stronger mentally. Um, and also I think going back to Susie telling me I'd be grateful for this, like I would have never been able to <laughs> positively affect this many people's lives yeah, as a pro yeah. wakeboarder. Absolutely. Can we go back to, um, July, 2014? We can. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, um, so you're this, um, kick-ass wakeboarder. You've done, uh, is it a 1080, which is three, three sixties, which is nuts. Yes. Yeah, so I did that when I was. Uh, in 2008 right and then right before the injury i'd landed the world's first double double tantrum, tantrum to, to blind there you go what what the fuck does that even mean so so a tantrum <laughs> is basically just a straight backflip right it's just the way you know the, the, there's a back roll which is kind of like a side to side uh rolling flip whereas a tantrum is kind of a straight backflip um so i did a double indie tantrum so indie grab it's a backhand between the legs on the front uh, toe side edge of the board and then to blind is where you do a backside 180, um, and the blind meaning you can't actually see where you're going when you land. You go, you're looking backwards. <laughs> so you've got your hand behind your back holding the rope, and you're, you're riding backwards. Right. And, and this was on a mega ramp too, which was a new part of wakeboarding. You know, Usually you crash into the lake or into, you know, into the ocean or the lake. Um, so now, this was you go up a ramp, then you're flying for a bit, and then you're down on another ramp. Yeah, right. so similar to freestyle motocross okay. and those sorts of, sort of setups. and. So, yeah, I'd just come off a big event in Germany where I landed the first, world's first double tension blind. We all knew it was going to win trick of the year. Like, even one of my guys I'd idolized my entire life, like the legend of wakeboarding, Parks Bonifay, was like, dude, that's the craziest trick I've ever seen. Like, to have that guy telling me that was just like, mm. it was everything. Um, I'd just come off filming for Travis Pastrana's... Um, Action figures film. I did a double flip over top of him and uh, almost hit him. Um, and then, yeah, a week later, it all went to shit. Mm. Wow. Again, everything slowed down. I had enough time to think. I was like, okay, I want to do a break fall because I'm about to go face first into the ramp. The little joke I say is, I don't want to ruin my <laughs> modeling career, you know, my pretty face. Um, and then, uh, yeah, and so I was like, I would tuck and roll, tuck my head and shoulders under, roll out of it. Um, but just the, the speed in which I was coming in, I didn't have enough time and I got my head under, but not my shoulders mm. and basically forced my head down into my chest and, uh, exploded my C4 vertebrae and knocked me unconscious instantly. And I was left floating face down in the water and. Were you, were you um were you knocked out cold then or we yeah, yeah right, I right. was out so they kind of pulled me or flipped me over I was blue in the face eyes wide open not responding not responsive at all one of my friends thought I was dead um and they managed to pull me up onto the paddleboard like get my sort of upper body up on it and they were kind of ready to try and do CPR right in the, mm. then and there 
And again, look, Joko says, oh, I must have known deep down that one of my buddies was about to put his <laughs> mouth to mine because I woke up and started breathing on my own. <laughs> They're great jokes, by the way. Did they take a while or before you could see the funny side or uh, feel yeah, it, that, that kind of came about in my public speaking because yeah. I was talking about it so much. And, and it, you know, it's a very heavy moment, so I like to kind of bring it back up sure. a little bit. Um, you know, in my talks, I, I always know it's a successful talk if I've gotten gasps, cheers, um, laughs and tears. Yeah, make them laugh, make them cry. Yeah, and um, yeah, and, and they had me on a neck brace, on a backboard, and everything. Call the helicopter, and my first response was, "Don't you call that fucking helicopter? It's going to be so expensive." Because <laughs> I had no insurance, no money. Like I was just, I'd just come off my travel insurance and was just looking into what insurance I could get over there because I just got a five-year visa to be there. It's expensive over there. If you get sick in the States and you're not insured, it's, exactly. uh, it's a grim situation. last thing I remember was in the MRI. and the, I don't know if you've had an MRI before, but yeah. you know they put the headphones on you and everything, and they're like, okay, yeah, we're about to get started. It's going to take a little while. You're going to need to stay still. I was like, <laughs> that's all, on, that's all on, I can dude. fucking do. Come <laughs> on. Um, and then, yeah, there's about a week blank after that. Mm. Um, I was apparently conscious. I had a nine-hour surgery to piece my neck back together. They used a cadaver vertebrae, uh, so a dead person's vertebrae that they donated and put into my neck, and two rods, a plate, and 14 screws to hold it all together. And um, I was put on a ventilator. My family flew in. I don't remember any of this. Um, and then the, the first thing I remember was actually a hallucination I had and yeah and then the next morning it was when I remember like waking up I actually I didn't know I was in hospital <laughs> funny thing is uh, I was my hospital room was directly across from the um the nurse's uh what do you call it oh, like station or wing yeah, or office. yeah and so they got the coffee machine and stuff yeah. like that there and um so I'm looking out through the you know I wake up and I look across and I'm like first thing smell of fresh coffee you know, like, and this the light coming in through the room, like just these things grab me, and and the next thing I see these like couple of girls and scrubs, and you know, and I'm like, I don't remember anything. Did I get wasted last night and end up <laughs> home with some chick who's her and her mates are all nurses and they're just getting ready for work, and and then she walks in and I'm like ready to sit up and say hello, can't move, can't speak, it all just drops like hit me like a ton of bricks and um, I mean even then yeah like right now like I feel it like it takes me back to that moment and just how heavy it was Um, and then you know my mum was there she'd already flown in but she wasn't there right at that moment Um, she came in a few an hour or so later and next thing I'm like mum I got kidnapped you know like I'm mouthing it because I couldn't speak because of the ventilator Um, and she's like talking to the nurse Oh, he thinks he got kidnapped, and I'm like, I'm like, no, it fucking happened. Like I'm getting, <laughs> Was I'm getting, I'm getting yeah. so mad at her because I fully thought it happened. And then, um, and then, yeah, and then everything from then on was just gnarly. Like, yeah, the heaviest what five weeks of my life there in the ICU. Almost died in front of my mum. Like that was another heavy moment. Um, and yeah, and then I got shipped off to Atlanta, to the spinal unit where I spent another three months and then was able to get home. So, was um, this, this, this is real grim, but in those early days when the um, reality of it sort of set in, were there moments where you wish you died on the water? or you, you 100%. Yeah. Um, there were moments where I was laying there on the hospital bed and if I had a gun I could have put to my head and pulled the trigger, I would have, but or I might have. And this uh, is the, this is the funny, fuck, fuck thing about it. Even if you decided to take your own life, you couldn't. Exactly. And the crazy thing as well is if I had the ability to pull that trigger, I wouldn't need to. I wouldn't want to. Um, and yeah. so here I am locked in this situation that I couldn't get out of. And it, it, was, it was partially that, partially no other way out, like refusal to give up, um, but no other way out. And also the community rallying behind me, my friends and family being there, um, the, you know, fundraisers started happening, all the messages coming in, all of that sort of stuff just kind of like made me decide, all right, screw it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fight this. Mm. Like um, I needed that. I needed that fight. I needed mm. that 
goal I needed something to work, work towards and the rehab and stuff and for a while that's that's definitely what I needed it was what was keeping me going and then it got to the point where uh, that was just you know three years down the track and the movement wasn't coming back and and I followed you on Instagram yeah. you you work bloody hard your your work ethic is second to none. I mean, if 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 anyone could could um, get their mobility back by by willpower, and um, and just through trying it, it would be you. So I mean, there's stuff being worked on, but who knows how yeah. long it will take. But so. and I suppose you, I mean, you need hope, don't you? But you can't um, hold your breath, I guess. Exactly. Um, I mean, funnily, funny terminology. To <laughs> yeah. Use, well, yeah, you can. Yeah, five minutes forty-five. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, and that's the thing. Like, I'm definitely uh, confident that there will be a cure of some sort. People think cure, and you kind of think of it in, in the same way where people think vaccine. They think, oh, it means I can't get COVID or whatever the vaccine is yeah. for. That's not how a vaccine works. Same with the cure for a spinal cord injury. It's, uh, you know. It's not like they do whatever they're going to do and then all of a sudden I'm out of the chair and running around again, yeah. wakeboarding again. It's not going to happen. Um, it's, you know, even like a 20% recovery is classed as a cure. Even, you know, obviously a cure might come out, but it might be an acute cure that yeah. does need to be done straight after the injury. That doesn't help me. Mm. Um, it may help if there's a procedure that needs doing that then we'll use that to protect any further damage from happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's interesting. So I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm, uh, positive that there will be something, but I'm not living my life hanging on a thread yeah. that that's what's going to bring me my happiness and my joy in life back. Are you mostly happy? You have more happy days than sad days? Yeah. From day one after the accident, every day was miserable. And after the first year, it was like maybe one or two days a week were miserable. And then it got to the point where it's. There'll be occasionally, like, things will affect me, even things like jealousy. Yeah. I've got such a good understanding of it now that the instinctual reaction hits, and it's almost like I've got this notification in my head that goes, ping, <laughs> you know what this is all about. You know, this is an ugly emotion. Uh, what other people have has nothing to do with what you have. All these sorts of things, all these reminders just yeah. go straight through, and I'm like, okay, I'm not jealous anymore. I'm not affected by that anymore. And that only came through years of work that every time that would come up, rather than pushing it aside, I would sit with it. Um, and there's this analogy that I use, and I've kind of stolen a, a well-known analogy, and I've added to it. Um, the one where you talk about all your stresses and troubles and worries in life, if you imagine them as a glass of water, that you, know, you hold it for a minute, it's fine. Hold on to it for an hour or so, you get a sore arm, hold on to it all day you probably won't be able to lift your arm yeah. and it'll feel almost paralyzed. And that's the same way that, you know, if we hold on to these things for too long, they affect us on that really, um, you know, on that sort of a level. Like our stresses and worries can almost become um, paralyzing and mm. stopping us from doing things in our life. And I, um, I got to the point where... So, you know, we, we take that analogy and it's like, okay, well, that one usually finishes with like, oh, well, if you if you put those, you know, the, it's basically the longer that you hold it, the uh, the more it affects you. Yeah. So it's like, okay, well, you either put it down somewhere or you let it go. If you let it go, it smashes on the ground, mm -hmm. leaves a mess to clean up later. If you put it down, you still haven't addressed them. So just you've just put them to the side. The analogy I use now is, okay, you've got a glass of water. How can you benefit from a glass of water? You fucking drink it, right? <laughs> yeah. you, know, you absorb it. You, your body benefits from it. So if you take those same stresses and worries and everything that hits you, emotions, and if you sit with them and you drink them in, you let your body process them, um, then over time you learn to work through those better, you understand them better, and you can benefit from that glass of water the weight of that glass of water which is seen as a bad thing now it's a positive yeah so if we take everything else in that same way in, in our mental health um and again it does take some struggles uh i had someone i was working with on it you know like a counselor type person or a therapist 
um, which was Susie. Um, and, yeah, so that's the thing. A, don't be afraid to get help. B, don't push things aside. We've got to learn to work through them because um, that's how we end up uh, better off because of it. Can we, can we uh, talk about the day-to-day life of um, being Brad? Yeah, well, I mean, even then, you know, we just had to pause for a second because I've had some pain issues that I've been dealing with for, for months now, um, just lower abdomen pain. It's, people will be like, hey, aren't you paralysed and you can't feel anything below the level of injury? And it's mm. like, well, again, this is another thing that's different for everyone. Some people feel nothing below the level yeah. of injury. I feel nothing on the outside, like skin sensation, touch. There's a little bit there, like um, temperature. I can feel slightly. Um, but on the inside, I feel everything, and mm. and I've got constant nerve pain, so chronic pain. It's basically like a version of pins and needles, which feels like a freezing cold burning sensation constantly, 24-7. So you got all the bad and none of the good. Exactly, but at the same time, it's the way you look at it. Like, Would I rather my spinal cord injury is that bad that I feel nothing at all, or maybe feeling a little bit of pain is maybe a good thing. It's maybe yeah. there, there are signals getting through, so... Yeah, and then you can do something about it. Yeah, but anyway, so I've been dealing with these these gut pains and they're sort of undiagnosed. We've looked into everything we could and um, so we've still got some more research to do there. But um, yeah, just dealing with pain. Yeah, um, one thing I've learned through having to deal with pain and especially when it gets really intense, you know, there'll be times where I'll get like a severe bladder infection and gives me what's called the rigors, which is like the uncontrollable shivers. Mm. Because my muscles above my level of injury, which is sort of like if you draw a line across my chest just above nipple line, um, that's sort of where my feeling stops. Um, And movement as well. So all of a sudden the only things that are moving are my shoulders and upper traps and my jaw and I'm just shivering and it doesn't stop until I get to hospital and get the right pain relief. And when that starts, it's one thing I've realized, and it's sort of another analogy that I, I like to use, is um, I find myself getting really short-tempered. Um, you know, I have no tolerance. I'm like, just fucking get me there now. Like, if they're fluffing around, I'm just like, I lose it. And I'm getting better at dealing with that. But in those painful situations, like, patience, tolerance, all that goes out the window. Yeah. Well, I think what, that's the what, same with most people, though, well, right? That's for, that's, uh, for everyone. Yeah, yeah. But then... The analogy I like to use or the comparison is like, you know, mental pain can be just as as bad as, as physical pain. And someone who may be, you know, going through some shit that we don't realize it's on the inside, but like they may be snappy, they may be intolerant, they may be this or that. And if you don't know what's going on, you just may think they're a dick. Yeah. But if you actually knew what's going on in their life, like that, that inner pain, that that mental pain, can really affect people just as as heavily in terms yeah. of the way they act and the way they respond and stuff. And they might bite back on something, but it's you know even after like lockdown, everyone's just dealing with sh- everyone's stressed, everyone's sure. over it, and like you know even interactions on Facebook of people are like biting back at each other, and it's like. It all just gets out of hand because people are struggling. Mm. That's what it comes down to. And yeah. to really understand that means we can be more tolerant with those sorts of people and what, what they're going through. So, again, that goes back to that, you know, um, putting yourself in someone's shoes um, thing. So, yeah, it's just, again, I try to learn from all these experiences that I go through, as, as negative as they may be, there can be a positive that comes out of it. And I think that's something that, the more people learn that and the more that they understand that, oh, you'd probably have read this one before, but the uh, the old Chinese proverb, maybe? You that What's one? that one? So there's this farmer and he goes out and he's tending the fields and his, um, his horse runs away. So that evening, you know, his neighbours and community and stuff that come around, they're like, oh, that's so terrible. The farmer's like, maybe. The next day... Uh, out in the field and the, the horse runs back and he's got seven wild horses with it. And like that evening, everyone comes around, oh my God, this is so amazing. What great fortune. Maybe. I was like, yeah. maybe. <laughs> and then the next day, you know, the farmer and his son are out in the field and they're trying to break the horses and his son gets bucked off the horse, breaks his leg. Oh, that's so terrible. What, what misfortune. <laughs> maybe. Maybe, yeah. 
next you know next day or a week later or whatever war breaks out and they come around drafting people for the war and son obviously can't, can't go, go to war yeah. because he's broken his leg and everyone's like oh such great fortune again maybe and you could keep going with it maybe yeah. the son would have gone to war and been a war hero mm. maybe he would have gone and died you know like the point is things happen and we put a certain amount of belief or a certain amount of um you know, we, we put like a meaning to it that hasn't happened yet mm. So something may happen and we just think it's immediately bad, but in the long run it may turn out to be the best a thing that ever happened to yeah, us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think that's another thing to to not project too far into the future, um, to remain present, to, yeah, to know that anything we're projecting into the future, any beliefs that we think, oh, this will mean that, it's bullshit until yeah. it happens. Um, so I think that's a really good thing to, for people to take yeah. on is to understand that, um, yeah, we just we never know what things might lead to. I mean, your <clears throat> excuse me, your burden's been um, bigger than what most of us will ever have to go through. But uh, there, I mean, everyone goes through shit though at some point to a, you know some sort of degree. Are there any um, like books that you you swear by? Highly recommend. The one that really got me um, after the accident. I, I didn't read many books before my accident. I wasn't really into that. Um, but the one that really stuck with me was Way of the Peaceful Warrior. Oh, Dan, Dan Millman. Dan Millman, yeah. yeah. Um, and there's some amazing quotes in that. One that I really love is around, uh, you know, the idea around, like, a person who is rich, you know, in terms of wealth. Um, and it's a quote that I use a lot. And so the, it, leading into it, uh, the guy asks his uh, Socrates, I think they calls him. Yeah. He calls him, and, um, and he's you know something about you know what is a wealthy man, um, and he basically says you know a rich man is someone who can afford to buy all of his desires, pay for all of his desires, and there are two ways to go about that. You can earn, steal, beg, borrow, inherit enough money to pay for all of your desires, or you can cultivate a lifestyle of few desires, a simple life, um, which means you don't need the money in order to pay for it. Both ways, you're a rich man right? because you can afford everything that you desire. So it's adjusting your mindset so you actually want less. Exactly. It's like, well, what, what do you have control of in that situation? Like, sure, you can go out and earn money and stuff, but you've got more control of what, you know, what your desires are and what your beliefs are around what makes someone successful and what doesn't. And so the quote that I love to use is um, is what comes after that. And it's basically, I'm trying to think now, I'm drawing a mind blank. Uh, the secret to happiness you see is not found in seeking more, but in developing the capacity to enjoy less. And at first I was like, how does enjoying less mean you know, having more kind of thing. Uh, and it's not about, ha- you know, enjoying less. It's about the, our capacity. You could still have just as much as you have in terms of material possessions. Yeah. But if you've basically adjusted your capacity to enjoy, then, yeah, you can you can enjoy a moment with some friends playing cards as opposed to, like, thinking that you need to be out partying and clubbing, drinking and paying for this and buying that. You know, it's mm. it's just adjusting our belief on what enjoyment is. Absolutely. And wealth is and yeah. things like that. So um, that's a book I recommend. Another one, uh, Tuesdays with Murray, was quite good. Um, basically, it's a professor oh, of a guy you know, yeah, the old dude, dying yeah. And, yeah. and he's got all these life lessons. I thought that was really good. Uh, I read... Uh, Andre Agassi's Open, that one was a really good one for helping me learn to write my book. Um, and then I've also read Scar Tissue. Those are the main books I've read since my accident. Yeah, Scar, Scar and Nikitas, that's Scar, a random one. Scar Tissue <laughs> was great because I needed to learn how to write about sex, drugs, and partying in a tasteful way. Right, is there a bit of that? I, oh, of course, man. Right. My book is raw. It's everything. It's, that's amazing. Was this, was this, is this pre-accident or post-accident? Both. 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 Amazing. If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, 
a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Kissing. Yeah. So you still get on it now with your mates. Yeah. Yeah, everything. Um, yeah, and just everything <laughs> around, um, yeah, around just trying to, like, write. Because I want my story to be as authentic as possible. I, I don't want people to think I was this angel that didn't do this or that, like, didn't have any negative things, you know. I mean, there are things in my life that I did that a lot of people would, you know, would view as as negatives or bad things that I would have done. But it was just what I needed to do in yeah. the situation, you know. Even, yeah, just there's a lot in there. Um, I'll let you guys read it. I won't go into it's going to be one hell of a book. And I'll tell you what, no, no one could begrudge you that, like a, you know, take. A, Taking some taking some drugs or alcohol to oh, exactly. you know <laughs> to make you feel temporarily happy. Yeah, it's, yeah. You um, deserve it. Yeah, I mean, I, honestly, since my accident, I have done much. Haven't done much in the way of drugs. Um, not to the extent I did before my accident. Even before my accident, like I wasn't out there, buddy, shooting up heroin yeah. or anything. Um, you know, I was pretty pretty balanced with it, I think. And um, but. On that, um, just thinking of the book in general, I know this will come out way before the book does. If anyone has any title ideas, <laughs> it'd be great. Send them my way. I'm still struggling to come up with a title. I've got what, a few ideas. But what are you working on at the moment? Oh, just playing like you know around the ideas of you know crossing over with wakeboarding, but just life in general, like something like you know like a hell of a ride or what a ride, and you know along for the ride. Like, and but then there's other ones like. You know, even the word wake, you know, obviously wakeboarding, but then also like the wake as in what was left behind after right. after the accident, you know, the wake that, that came from that. Um, and yeah, there's there's a few other ideas we're playing with. Um, you know, there's some amazing titles of books that, that I really love, like a book I'm reading at the moment, Man's Search for Meaning. Oh, th- um, that is, um, yeah, that'd be my top pick, Victor yeah, Frankel, incredible yeah, book. so I've just started that and... Um, there was another one I saw. It was about um, a dude who did the Isle of Man uh, racing. Uh, was it called Dead Men Don't uh, Tell No Tales or something like that? So, yeah, there's some cool titles I'm drawing inspiration from, but I haven't hit that one that just hit the nail yeah. on the head yet. You'll know it when it comes. Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be one hell of a book, mate. That's going to oh, be really good. It. It's, been, it's been years, years and years of work. Um, and uh, honestly, the, the way I like, I like to sort of liken it to is, you know, before my accident, I, you know, for the two years before the accident, I was managing uh, Lake Ronix, which was my board sponsor. Mm-hmm. It was our team's private wake training facility, and um, I was doing a lot of the building, a lot of the hands-on stuff. My dad was a builder, so I learned a lot of that as I was growing up. And we're out building all these ramps and rails, and we built the mega ramp that I broke my neck on, and you know, all these things. And, um, and I, always after building this, you know. But on a building project, and you stand back afterwards, you got something really, you know, something tangible Sense in front of, pride. of you to be proud of. Yeah. yeah, but I think this book is going to be the biggest thing I've built, the thing that I can be the most proud of, and gives me that same feeling of you know physically hands-on building that I had before the accident. Mm. So, yeah, it's really cool. I'm I'm proud of it already. It hasn't come out yet. I know. Um, I'd, I'd imagine I have a really good response. I'm a little bit like, like, have I gone too raw in terms of revealing too <laughs> much about myself? Never. But at the end of the day, it's it's what's real, and I think that will allow people to connect on a deeper level and go, hey, this guy is truly human and someone who I can actually 
relate to um, on certain levels. So, and you you wrote you've written every single word yourself. You haven't been like dictate, dictating to uh, an editor or anything. You've done it with this um, like stylus pen that's built into your into your chair. Yeah, so it's a basically a stylus, a, a long stylus that I hold in my mouth, and I have my phone mounted in front of me and type away. I use an iPad for a while there, but the key uh, the keyboard's bigger on the iPad, right. so it's a bigger movement for me mm-hmm. with my head and neck. Um, so I've mainly done it on my phone and <laughs> ended up, um, so we, so I'm writing it in first person present tense. So yeah. people are in my shoes while they're reading it, but not being an author myself, like I don't know how to craft a book from start to finish properly. I just, of course you do. It's, your, it's your story. Well, no, no. In terms of like, I know how to write and it turns out I'm actually pretty decent at writing in terms of being descriptive and you know, using different metaphors and similes. and mm-hmm. um, But in terms of actually crafting the book from start to finish, you know, making sure all the, the overarching themes are intertwined in at the right places and what actually is really relevant and needs to be in there and what doesn't. And so <laughs> when I finished writing, I'd basically gotten to close to half a million words which is the longest manuscript my publisher had ever received. <laughs> it's bigger than, um, bigger than the, the history of New Zealand. It's, it's insane. Um, but, you know, I, there was just so much that I wanted to get yeah. down, and I wanted to give my editor the full story so she could whittle it down and condense it a bit into what was really relevant. Um, and there's been a bit of pushback and forth, you know, some stories I think that I was really excited about and really wanted in there, but she's like, oh, they don't really add to what the whole point of the story is, and we're trying to get rid of words, and um, so we're trying to get to under 200,000 words, and um, and yeah, it's been a, an interesting process. Uh, you're about, we're about halfway through the, the main um, edit at the moment, and there's a lot to do after that. I mean, you know yourself, the yeah. whole process of uh, writing a book and editing and everything. And Yeah, I think I'm lazier than you because um, when I uh, – and my books were done with the same publishers, Ellen and Unwin, but when I got the contract, it was like seventy to 90,000 words. Um, so I'd uh, type a paragraph, then check the word count, and as soon as it got to 70,000, I was like popping champagne. You're on half a million, and you're doing it with that with that stylus in your mouth. They, um, they, they sent me the same contract, yeah, like eighty to 100,000 words or something like yeah. that. And I was like, once I blew past 100,000 words, I'm like, okay, so that was what you wanted, but what can we push out to, you know? And, um, and it's worth mentioning, like with your, your advance, which is a pittance anyway, you're not getting any extra money for the extra words you write. No, no, exactly. Um, so it was, yeah, it was more about just, you know, getting the full story out. Um, I suppose I could have done it in a shorter way, but just the way of it being in first-person present tent makes it, really hard to like summarize yeah like a whole month you can summarize in like even you know a few paragraphs Mm. whereas if you're in the moment and you're like walking through those days and weeks and stuff it it does take uh take a lot longer to write it out and that's you know you mentioned like that i didn't dictate it and people ask why i didn't do that and it's it is quite hard to like having my brain working in first person present tense and uh, the speed at which my brain works versus how my mouth works in dictating, you know, vocally, uh, they weren't matching up. And also when I dictate, you know, it makes mistakes and it takes yeah. almost just as much time to go back and fix them all as mm. if I'd written it myself. And the one thing, though, which was just an absolute godsend, when uh, when Apple, when iPhones went to... Um, added the old swipe to text rather than just tapping. Oh, rather. Yeah, right, right. So, so you can, can just swipe like swipe across. across. Yeah, so like for Samsung's. me, like tapping and using my mouth, I was basically like a woodpecker mm. pecking at this phone trying to tap the buttons. Whereas then, like it at least doubled my word count. Like I think I'm at like 65 words a minute. Um, that's, I, ins- that's insane, well, by that's, the way. That's, that's, that's not the speed at which I wrote my book, because yeah. I was obviously having to think, think a lot. Sure. That was me writing the quick brown fox jumps over the lazy yeah. dog over and over and over again. Um, just seeing how fast you could go. Exactly. And so, yeah, by swipe to text, it just meant like I'm just moving my head side to side rather than pecking at mm. the phone. So It's amazing technology. How, how long did it take you to get used to the, the stylus and the mouth thing? You've, when you've, they first gave it to me, I was like, get this fucking thing away from me. Must I'm have been so frustrating. Never, ever going to use that. No. Nah. And uh, and then so throughout the time in the spinal unit in the states uh, was when I 
started to work on it and um and yeah it's I get a sore jaw after a while like holding on to that thing throughout the day especially when I was writing the whole book um but yeah it didn't take that long once I actually decided mm. okay I'm, I'm going to do this because I don't really What's have the other option? option yeah and I wanted that independence and to be honest me and Siri didn't get along very well. Like, <laughs> voice, like, vocally trying to text with Siri. Oh, my God. Like, it just, it got to the point where we just, yeah, we, we didn't get along. So uh, I needed that independence of having my phone in front of me. Yeah. And, and that is most of my independence yeah. through technology. Through Absolutely. That. Um, you know, I've got caregivers looking after me and doing everything for me. And that in itself is a you know big test in tolerance and, different programming, the way I'm wired versus the way they're wired and what they think, how th- something should be done and how I think it should be done, uh, often very different. Um, oh, I can imagine. I mean, you, you, you strike me as being like um, you're fiercely independent and also, uh, I mean, you don't get to do the stuff that you did on a wakeboard without you know, being a perfectionist and an A-type. So you obviously like having things done a certain way. That's got to be that's got to be one of the hard things, I'd imagine. Totally. Yeah. Um, but, you know, it's been amazing finding things that I can do and, you know, I've accepted the fact that I need help with most things. But yeah, even leading back into looping back around into the um the freediving side of things that I've been doing. Sorry, excuse me. Um yeah, and like obviously I mentioned earlier it's this really cool thing me and my friends have and um I just it became something that like, okay, this is what I can do, this is what I can really focus on. And there's this Amazing full circle thing which happens, um, and I include this in the book as well. But after the accident, you know, as you mentioned earlier, mm. um, and you you even said it yourself, like I was in the situation where even if I wanted to kill myself, I couldn't. Yeah. So in my head, even though like by this point I was well beyond um, any thoughts of actually wanting to do it. Yeah. Because even in the moment, I think right up after I woke up and realized what had happened. I don't think I would have actually wanted to do it. I don't think that's part of me. I don't think I have that in me. Um, But there was always this thought in the back of my head, because I couldn't, it's like, okay, if I could, or if I wanted to, how? And my thought was, okay, I would drive my wheelchair off the end of a wharf or into a deep swimming pool, and that would be my way to go. Crazy thing now is, like, through the freediving, the bottom of that swimming pool is where I found passion for life again. right, right. So the most out there full circle moment, yeah. but I was sitting there at the bottom of the Olympic pools in Newmarket, four and a half meters down for like I think the first couple of times I did it. I think I got close to five, got up around five minutes and I'd never experienced, well, not since being able to wakeboard. Like that was my, that was my escape. That was my meditation. That was my like, um, what do you call it? When you're, when you're in the zone, oh, there's a, there's a flow state. Your flow state. You're just, you're just being fully in the moment. That was yeah. it for me. That was that was uh, everything. And since the accident, I hadn't had that at all. Hadn't been able to find that. But at the bottom of that pool was where everything just disappeared. All that, all the thoughts of past and present and future and fears and beliefs and all that shit. I'm just. I was sitting there in the moment, and it was just. It was unbelievable to have that and to be able to share that with my friends. And I know my mum, and I think that time my mum and dad were sitting poolside, obviously stressing out. I mean, you know my mum, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> when it gets to the five, five, your son's been underwater for five minutes. Yeah, that can't be easy. Yeah. And so, um, <laughs> but you know, to come up after that time in the bottom of the wa- uh, bottom of the pool, me and my friends all hooting, hollering, like just smile beaming across my face, like. And that's where my mum realised, like, as well, because obviously she would have her fears around that, but for her, she's like, fuck, okay, my son's found something that actually truly makes him happy again. Um, and that was really big, because mum's a little hesitant, my, you know, as mums are, you know, yeah. they're protective and, and stuff. But, um, yeah, she knows that, obviously, the way I'm programmed, the way I like to live life, like... I need shit like this. Mm. So, um, and at the end of the day, like I know there are risks, and but like I had a friend who, you know, I I could drown freediving. I could be out somewhere and get eaten by a shark at the end of the day. But it's where you learn about control. Like mm. if I'm down there and 
a shark decides to eat me, I, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. So why would I freak out? Why would I do anything? Because, yeah, that's completely out of my control. Mm. Um, but, yeah, even if I could, you know, could drown or anything like that. But just as easily, I could die from an infection. Mm. Uh, a guy who was a tandem skydive instructor in the States, he had his injury about the same time as me, and we ended up in the same spinal unit, similar age, uh, same level injury, and yeah, we got along really well, and he's doing this, uh, from the States. And um, we lost touch a little bit over the years, and then um, I heard news that he had died from an infection. And that was right around the time when I was starting to get into this, and I was like, that right there like, solidifies exactly why I'm doing this. Um, because yeah, that that's the reality. Like, and I've, I've, uh, what's the word? I've accepted my own mortality. Mm-hmm. I've, I know that my injury means I have a shorter life expectancy than most. It does it. Like, how much? What's it reduced by? Uh, they didn't really put any numbers on it, but just like, is that because you're unable to like exercise or get movement or yeah, and uh, respiratory stuff mainly. Okay, right. Um, I can't cough. Well, I can. Like it's a pretty pitiful because I don't oh, have even if you were, had COVID, I wouldn't get it from here. I'm like a yeah, meter and a half exactly. away from here. Um, but like, yeah, so I don't have the ab strength to squeeze right. the diaphragm and push the air out, and so if I get a chest infection, like that's quite dangerous. Obviously, COVID, especially the earlier versions, um, Omicron, I guess, apparently not so yeah uh, effective on the lungs. But yeah, so that's all the stuff I've come to terms with and yeah. face and everything. So. I, I actually, this is kind of what it comes down to for me, is I don't fear death. Mm-hmm. I fear not living. And, the, you know, those mm. are two very different things. It's like a line, there's a, a Pink Floyd song called Wish You Were Here, and it talks about um, exchanging a walk-on part in the war for a lead role in a cage. Exactly. Like that's the same thing. I love that song. I yeah. used to play that on the guitar. That's, uh, yeah, that's like besides wakeboarding, in fact, I would put that above wakeboarding. If I could have the guitar back, like that would be... Just, yeah, so mm. much. But, um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Like, we we learn from experiences and everything we go through, and that's there are a lot of things, a lot of very confronting things that I had to work through, mm. and that being one of them, you know, my own mortality. And so it's like, why would I not go out and just have this epic time with my friends just because there's a risk of dying when there's a risk of dying every day? Or, mm. you know... It's, it's just part of my life. So. Seems like you've got a good crew as well. Um, there, there's, um, I don't know, when, when, when shit hits the fan in someone's life, I, I feel like there's two sorts of people, people that sort of like lean in or people that sort of lean out. Most of your friends, they seem to have like leaned in. Totally. Yeah, well, and, it, and it whittled out the ones that truly weren't, yeah, weren't yeah. good friends. And, um, you know, but honestly, there, were, there weren't that many of them, mainly those who just girls that were interested in me before right. and not afterwards. It's like, cool, all right. But they, they, they were my friends, but they were only friends because yeah, they yeah. wanted me maybe or t- I don't know. Like, Actually, can, can we talk about that for, that for a second? And if, um, if you don't want to answer anything, that's cool. But um, so when, when it comes to, to girls now and, and sexual stuff, like, do you have like erogenous zones anywhere or like parts, parts of the body that – Yeah. I mean, how does that work? So obviously, you know, I don't have normal feeling or, you know, don't have much feeling at all below the level of injury. Mm. Um, so any physical contact around my neck, shoulders, um, ears a little bit, but mainly like, you know, a good head scratch or oh, something. Yeah. Like, yeah, good. Something like that. Or even like literally like a Q-tip in the ear, like just oh, like getting, <laughs> getting an itch. Just the right amount. Getting an itch out of my, oh man, like that is just so satisfying. But um, in terms of sex and stuff, like that's a big question that I think a lot of people want to know, but not everyone's you know, um, going to ask. But, you know, I'm, I'm fully open about it all. Um, you know, with my level of injury, uh, I can still have sex. Um, I can't, not like mental or um, visual stimulus doesn't, doesn't do anything. Um, it's only through physical touch that I can actually get it up and actually um, have sex. For a while there, I had to take the old blue pill to kind of just keep it going. But um, but no, it didn't, you know, that, that pretty much phased that out. I didn't need that anymore. And uh, the one thing, though, is that it's basically I can start, but I can't finish. Right. 
um, yet. Okay. It's one of those things. It's like, oh, well, same as uh, rehab. I just need to practice. I guess. <laughs> problem is, I problem is, I can't practice alone. So you know, and it's uh, it's been a bit of a dry spell lately. Yeah. <laughs> but no, to be honest, it's um no, it's cool. And there there is the slightest amount of feeling still mm. down there. So like, if you know, if I am having sex. You know, as I said before, I've got nerve pains below my level of injury. Basically, everything I feel below the level of injury right. is, is a negative sort of pain uh, or negative feeling. Um, whereas this, that's uh, it's maybe like 2% of what it used to feel mm. like before, but it's something, a tiny little tingle, but it's yeah. the only uh, positive, pleasurable feeling that I get below the level of injury. So, um, you know, it's just, just something that uh, I'm learning as well. And with each different partner, uh, each different girlfriend that, you know, it's all different. Like, um, and it's so much needs to be done around communication because yeah. I've been living with this injury for seven and a half years. Someone new comes into it. It's all new to them. Mm-hmm. And even though, I, you know, it's all, I'm used to it all. Like, I've got to realize that, that it's all so new and it's so different that, you know, the best thing is just being open and communicating about it all and, um so yeah, I've um, yeah. I mean, you know, as I said, like it's I had a, a good life before the injury and, and that sort of things. <laughs> Still having a good one afterwards. It's, it's by one the of those of things, things, though, it's sort of like for a while there, it's like the the life I lived before my injury. Like I'm so glad that I've been able to live. Like you know, I travelled for ten years of back to back summers. Like I think I had twenty one summers back to back and partying. You know, obviously I was single a lot. Um, you know, I had, a, I had a great time. And even wakeboarding and everything. But after my accident, that became, you know, it was a blessing to have had. But it also you, didn't, you, you, you didn't squander those years, was, so you got the no, memories. exactly. But then it was like, looking back on that, it's like now that's what I'm comparing life yeah. to. You know what I was talking about before. Like yeah. if someone was a you know, accountant behind a desk and had the same mm. injury, it wouldn't be as, yeah. as hard. So it was, in a way, it was almost like a blessing and a curse that I had that um, for a while there, and now I've gotten past that. and Yeah, and so, I mean, although it's, you know, it's certainly not what it used to be, um, I'm not interested in what it used to be, yeah. how things were. I don't want to have a one-night stand because it's awkward. Like, it takes 20 minutes for me for my caregiver to put me into bed. It's not really the most, like, erotic, kind of turn-on, <laughs> like, tearing each other's clothes off type of moment. Um so it's very different, and you know, and there are some girls who may be um, not that confident, or they may not, you know, and because you know, I'm paralyzed, I can't move. So you can picture it like I'm laying on the bed, and she's got to be on top, basically. If a girl's not confident, and not able to do that, mm. like then it's, you know, it's it's like that's a, it's a, 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 it's usual, a lot to take on. Well, a usual sexual experience or anything like that is two people. Both, you know, touching, feeling, you know, whatever. Yeah. So making it just a one-person side, like I have to, for before, if I wanted to pull someone in and kiss them, now I have to do that with my words. And that was so awkward for a mm. while there. But now, you know, I'm just, I know that that's how it is. And that's, it's only through my words that I'm able to instill confidence in them yeah. to be able to do what they need to do or want to do. Um so yeah, I've I've just been having to kind of work on that and and be more verbal and communicate better and um yeah, but no, as I said earlier as well, like I've I've gotten to a point of confidence now where I'm just you know, I'll happily go up and chat with anyone, ask someone out for coffee, you know, more than knowing that it I could get turned down, but it's like if I don't shoot my shot then I'm not going to get where I want to be. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, confidence confidence takes you a long way. Yeah. Whether you're able-bodied or not. Yeah, for sure. And that, and it's there's a lot of learning, as I mentioned. You know, there's a lot of things that I can't do. You know, we're not just talking in the bedroom now, but like just in general, everyday life. Um, and little things what, like what's well. What springs to mind that we wouldn't oh, necessarily think of? Go out for a run. Yeah. You know, go, yeah. On a, go on a mission to the beach. Like, sure I can, but it takes a lot more work. Yeah. I mean, I've got a Planning. a chair with tank tracks on it so I can go on a beach, but there's, there's a lot that goes on, and plus the heat sucks. I can't, my body doesn't sweat from getting hot. Like you may have noticed I'm sweating mm. now. 
that's from the gut pains that I'm getting. That's my body telling me, hey, something's wrong. Yeah. That's it's response. It forces my blood pressure up, which makes me sweat. But yeah, if I'm out in the sun, I don't sweat, and so I just get hotter and hotter and hotter. I just cook. Um, so I actually have to use like a spray bottle to kind of spritz, you know, like mist water onto my body, and that kind of acts in the same way as sweat does. But yeah, there's there's things like that. I mean, even little things though, like you know, say I got a girlfriend and she arrives at my house, I can't get up and go give her a hug. Mm. It's on her to come over and hug me. You know, or sure, I can drive my chair over, but she's got to be the one to initiate unless, I'm, yeah. unless I'm verbally, you know, I verbally initiate it. But just little things like that, like not being able to, like, hold someone's hand, like, you know, and these are things in a relationship that you don't think of. Yeah. And and at the time, they probably don't even feel like something that would be, be that would affect someone. But I think over, over time, you know, the, it might just feel like something's missing and that it could just be something like that, just that. Slight lack of physical contact. And that's where you come down to, like, love languages. Mm. Okay, if I met someone whose love language is physical touch, we may have an issue. Yeah. You gotcha. know? Gotcha. So, so yeah, there's, there's, um, there's a lot to learn, and, and that's the thing. I've just been open to learning about it. And, and I know, you know, it's been a dry spell, but yeah. I know that the right person will come along when, when they need mm. to. And I feel like you're probably into a deeper connection now anyway. 100%. Yeah. And that's what I was going, getting to earlier it was um, – yeah, I'm not interested in those sort of uh, someone who I just am into because they're hot. Yeah, like that doesn't interest me me now. Like I'm so much more interested in that deeper connection and and just other qualities that um, just seem more important. And I think that just comes with maturity and age mm. for everyone or most people anyway. And um, for me, it just because I was hit with this situation all at once, it just forced me to learn these things that. People, I think, try to learn over their lives, especially even the mental stuff that I've been talking about. A lot of people try to learn these, but because I don't have a nine-to-five job, because I was able to sit, had the time to put mm. into it, it meant that, um, yeah, I've been able to kind of grow a lot faster than I think yeah. most people do. Yeah, God, it's some massive stuff you've been through. You've, you can, just the way you speak and the lessons you've got, you can definitely tell you've done the work and some. Yeah, thank you. Uh, on that note, yeah, anyone's interested? Essential talent. I uh, I do do public speaking. <laughs> Little you do a shame, great job too. Shameless self promotion. Yeah, um, but no, I I actually that's one of the things I've gotten into lately that I really really enjoy. Again, it's it's about taking what I've learned, being able to give it back, help others, um, and it gives me a similar feeling to like entering a wakeboard contest mm. beforehand. I got like the adrenaline nerve, rush. Got the nerves. Oh, I've prepared properly. Oh, this and that. You get into it, flow state, like, oh, cool, the words are just coming. Like, the hour flies by. And then afterwards, you got this feeling of accomplishment and everything and paycheck as well, hopefully, which, <laughs> which, which didn't always come with the wake putting one. But um, if I did well, obviously it did. But, yeah, it's um, it's been really cool, and I've been learning a lot over it and I'm really grateful for, you know, my agent Sean and bringing me in and getting amongst it and, uh, you know, and for every – Company, school, anyone who's brought me along and, and hired me to come and speak, it's uh, it's, it's, it's an honour and, um, yeah, looking forward to doing more. Yeah. Hey, um, good luck with everything. Good luck with the book. Thank you. That's going to be amazing when that comes out. And um, good luck with the skydive. I reckon if anyone can, can get up in a plane and that'll get themselves be, tossed out, that'll be... That'll be a fun one. I've got a friend of mine's a tandem skydive instructor over in Aussie, so I actually tried to go end of 2019. I went over there to to do it but uh the weather didn't play ball and, yeah uh, and also didn't get clearance from the um spinal unit that was a tough one <laughs> but uh managed to get that all through and so um so yeah that that'll be something we've got on the cards yeah so the so the doctor that said you can't dive um he didn't say anything about the the skydive no this is another doctor uh and they were kind of hesitant but right. i i basically said look you're, the only reasons you're saying no kind of don't really have anything to do with my spinal cord injury because we've covered everything. We'd, we'd addressed every issue. We'd covered everything that my my lack of ability would, you know, what would come into play with skydiving. And so we'd covered everything off. So literally the only reason they're saying no is because of their beliefs around, oh, you're a bit fragile. You know? <laughs> it's like, well, shit. 
like if I break my leg on a landing, it's probably <laughs> someone with an able body would have broken their leg on that yeah, landing yeah. too. It's just it's part of the it's part of what, the risk. There's that risk for everyone. So yeah, it should be fun. Yeah, brilliant. God, I pity your doctor. Jeez, um, <laughs> tough, tough patient. Tough patient. No, you're the, you're the greatest man. It's um, it's so good, and you're you're living a more fulfilling and rich life than most people that are fully able bodied. I reckon. Yeah, and I hope that that's what you know with the book. And there's a uh, plans for a, hopefully a documentary as well. And you know, I want that's the whole reason for the two of them is to to try to motivate people to kind of push beyond the barriers and limitations that they put on themselves and that society may have put on them, and you know, realize that that we're in control of those barriers and we can, there are ways around them. There are, you know, we kind of just got to put ourselves out there. And sometimes it's just that first step that just gets us on a roll, like yeah. whether it's confidence, whether it's knowing that we can do something, knowing that it, how that it's easier than we thought it was going to be. Um, yeah. So hopefully people take that away. And even from this, this chat right now. So oh, it's been appreciate absolute, you having me on. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for sharing. My pleasure. Cheers, Tom. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.